Judges in corporate pockets. Entrenched structural racism. Rubber stamping bad decisions. Legitimizing police lies. The American court system has always been flawed, but never more than now. The judiciary, lawyers, and elected officials have sworn an oath to defend the Constitution, yet they're silent about dark money capturing the courts. We won't be. You're listening to May It Displease the Court. All right, welcome back to a season one bonus episode of May It Displease the Court. I am joined again by Professor Lee Pierce. and. We have a lot to talk about, although it's not going to be a super long episode, but there's just so much that's happened uh, since our finale. We we really needed to get together to hash some of it out. Um, yeah, so we've sure. taken the Senate. We've, we won Georgia. That was um, honestly amazing and know, surprising. Shocking. Yeah. I was it was like white. I was white knuckle. You know, it was it was crazy. All of this, all of this. And then, you know. Trump trying to uh, overthrow democracy by overturning the election and trying to do pull all of his criminal mafia style, um, you know. Oh, can I talk about that for a second? Yes, please. So I'm talking to somebody the other day, somebody on the left, and they're like, oh, Trump is president. You know, I think things are really going to calm down now. And I was like, oh, what about the Supreme Court? What about the district courts? Like, what about the fact that we're totally gagged and bound across the judiciary. And they said, well, yeah, but if they were really that bad, they would have overturned the vote. And I was like, no, they I was like, no, they couldn't. There was nothing. There was nothing for him to base that claim on. I mean, he had lawyers from the right telling him from the start there. You have nothing to base this evidence on. I said, so but I'm worried now because it's like, oh, well, if it were really that bad, the whole thing would have just been overthrown. But, you know, there are still constraints even for an anti-democratic takeover where you still have to work within reasonable boundaries so that everything appears to be on the up and up. Exactly. Exactly. So but it, it, but how diabolical is it that they they so seamlessly pivoted when they didn't have any facts? And let me tell you, if they had had any facts we may yes. not have a democracy anymore. That's true. Okay, yes. so we are at a razor's edge um, of it completely going the other way, um, mm-hmm. even with seven million more votes and no voter fraud, no no credible allegations of voter fraud anywhere in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, they seamlessly pivoted to just uh, disinformation, yeah. and so they must. To me, they must have had that planned. Uh, that must have been the backup plan. Oh, for sure. It's like when they write two speeches for the Oscars, right? One if you win and one if you lose. Just like uh, just like you write your concession speech and your victory speech if you're the candidate. They had two plans for when they saw this starting to, to shift. Right. And so for them, it was sort of a win-win. It was like a, it was like a win now or a win later. Yeah. Uh, we're so, you know, sowing the seeds for a future win uh, by, you know, totally messing with everybody's brain. You know, especially especially the those who are, you know, buying into this big lie that the election was stolen. Yeah. Well, and I'll continue to say it. I think one thing that this election has proven that gives me a shred of hope is that the people that are the keyboard warriors are not predominantly the voting block. So the worst of the alt-right trolling, awful, like the, the people that 
they didn't really carve, but they like wrote Trump in the side of a manatee, like in the manatees, like bio, <laughs> like, you know, the film that lives on the manatees. Yeah, from I saw that. Yeah, it's it, which is which is messed up. But these are the types of people that are really fueling the Trump frenzy on the front where the back is dark money, but the front is them. They're not showing up to vote, which is something I had always hoped was true. And I think that's the only thing that I'm taking away from this that gives me a little bit of positivity is that they do not show up the way that they do on the Internet. Yeah. And I think people, you know, were thinking that, oh, with Trump not on the ballot, you know, are all the Republicans going to show up? I mean, you know, when you look at the data, there was there was high turnout for Republicans and for Democrats. Democrats just had more. Yeah. Um, And you know, what's crucial and, and, you know, we fought tooth and nail to put this coalition together, you know, and it's, it's like, we, this is like a brief victory dance and then we need to get right back to work because to, you know, to keep it and grow it because they're not going away. You know, we've been really focused last season on the Trump administration, but the Trump administration going away is not going to make everything great again. And there's a lot of work to be done. And I think, you know, it's been kind of a little bit disheartening as to how many people did actually vote for Trump, given the fact that, you know, they're kind of trying to kill us with with the way that they cut benefits and, uh, you know, health care during a pandemic, didn't bother to have any type of vaccine rollout plan. I mean, it's 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 been uh, scorched earth, really. Yeah. And rhetoric, we call Trump. Well, we call him a master signifier, although it's a I don't, I don't like the word master just across the board. But the only other phrase that I know of is quilting point, which is a weird one off. But essentially what it means is, yes, there's like a unique way in which the anxieties and fears and emotions of a particular group get kind of translated through Trump. So it's not that he doesn't add fuel to the fire in certain ways, but him going away does not make all of that. Right? He's not the cause. He's just the nodal point where all of the all of that gets super super concentrated. Like if you think about like a messy house, every messy house has parts of the house that are under control and parts of the house that are just kind of like especially terrible areas, like that one closet nobody wants to go into. If you clean out the closet, it doesn't suddenly make your house in order. Right. So Trump to me is like the closet. It's like, yeah, there's a certain way in which he kind of magnified a lot of this, but him disappearing, it, it, there's going to be another, it's going to pick up in another quilting point, you know, whether it's the next candidate or whether it's a new figurehead. I mean, whatever happens, but there will be another Trump. I think the important thing is just to be on the lookout for that. Absolutely. Now, what do you, what do you think about all this deplatforming of uh, these kind of far right? instigators. I mean, I'm fine with it because they're all anti-government, pro-corporation, and these are just corporate, right? Because none of these are publicly traded. None of these are public network. They're not um, public works. They're not the railway. They're not, uh, (laughs) right? They're private companies. So it's like, to me... Not even PBS. Well, well, I get... Well, PBS is... It's publicly funded, though. Do they get federal funding? What, PBS? Yeah. I think so, but not very much. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Not very much. They're mostly donor funded. So to me, they, for all intents and purposes, they're private in the sense that they don't serve. They're not meant to serve the general public. Like the same way that like utility. Sure. Like like it were. I don't know if anything's like that anymore, but it also makes me nervous because what happens when they're not on our side anymore? So 
I go back and forth because it could just as easily be we're going to censor Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Well, you know, movements arose in other times, in other times, you know, when they didn't have social media. So it's not like that is everything. But I think it does kind of break a little bit of the spell. Um, Even even. Yeah, I'm very proud of what those companies did to curb to curbs that that hate speech that was floating around the Internet. Well, I never followed Donald Trump. I never followed any of those people. And I was always kind of irritated when people I followed retweeted them or, you know, shared it because I just didn't want to see it. Um, But because I knew it was going to filter back to me other ways. (laughs) Right. Um, But but still, even even like it took several days just to kind of absorb the fact that like I wasn't going to have to get a terrible message from him about something, you know, it was like, yeah, whew, you know, <laughs> like I was still kind of looking for it. And I'm not somebody who was like addicted to him. So I can imagine that people who really did, you know, it's you do kind of come down from that sort of negative high uh, of his constant gaslighting and dog whistling negativity. Yeah, for sure. I now. Mean, I- Oh, Go ahead. Uh, what do you think? Uh, what do you think about the Capitol riots? So on, I uh, originally, what'd you say? On January 6th. Yeah, I originally was sort of torn on these because so one thing that we do is one thing that I'm really cautious of uh, as a rhetorician is like what I call the flip it test. And so it's always like, OK, if you're opposed to something, flip it. If it were the other side, would you still be opposed? Because you always want to be thinking about the rule of the situation, like the guiding principles and not just the content. So like I, you do this with like when you're being racist, it's like if you wouldn't say the white guy, the white server, you wouldn't say the blacks. Right? Do you know what I mean? Like, don't point out that people are black if you're not if you also in the same situation wouldn't point out that they were white. So it's a helpful way, mm-hmm. I think, to teach people to kind of distinguish between their commitments to like a specific content and then. How do they want to think about the world? And so when the protests happened, the, the, sorry, the insurrection, which is now what I'm calling it, at the Capitol, part of me was kind of like, I don't know about being so anti-protest on this because isn't it a protest? Like, aren't these legitimate expressions of dissent? And yeah, you can disagree with like them going into the Capitol, them killing a cop, them stealing people's mail, all you know, all the stuff that they did. But do we really want to call it? Do we really want to agree that this is not a protest because flip it and assume that like the women's march had gotten out of hand or something, right? Assuming they'd stormed the Capitol or stormed the White House. So I was kind of on the fence about this and really wanting people to think carefully about making sure that we're making the right argument. And then this is so crazy because then all this information comes out about how this was big donor funded, dark money funded. They had, you know, just like the plans in place. Trump campaign. Yep. Trump Trump campaign. Which, by the way, is if, if anybody listening donated to Trump's campaign to, quote unquote, pay for his legal fees to fight the blah, 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 you can almost bet that all of that money went to either the insurrection or to Trump's bank account. Right. I mean, the, the legal fees thing, fighting, fighting yeah. the, the decision was so much a cover for him to just bankroll himself and these protests. And it's what's really crazy to me is we spent a whole season talking about dark money and donor funding. And the first thing that occurred to me 
when I saw all this happen was, oh, this must be happening in real time as an organic expression of like um, the American will of this particular group of people. Never occurred to me it was dark money. And then all of a sudden I'm smacking myself on the forehead like, Lee, obviously you didn't think about dark money. Like this is the whole reason for the podcast. But it just goes to show how disconnected even well-informed people are from just the gobs and gobs of money and organization and stealth happening in places that we are not familiar with. Well, and there's a mixture of people there, right? You have Mm -hmm. the people that are just caught up in it, and they're the ones who are getting probably the most charges, and they're the ones that are, you know, came cosplaying in very strange outfits. And then there were obviously other people there who were much more organized, who had uh, inside information that's coming out and truly terrifying. I mean, I think we were very, very close to witnessing uh, a mass uh, assassination of Congress. That was their plan, according to uh, some FBI you know, documents. They were planning on gassing the, the congressmen and their staff in the tunnels. You know, and they they had erected a a gallows and they were looking, they're chanting, Mm -hmm. hang Mike Pence, you know, like really, really scary stuff. I was worried for, you know, Rep. Ilan Omar. I thought, oh, God, you know, AOC, you Mm -hmm. know, any any of the people who happen to be, you know, intersectional women and, and, you know, other minorities. I thought they would be. Targets for and all. I mean, really, all the women. I, you know, in any of those situations, the first thing I think about is when's the raping going to (laughs) begin? And they. um, That's what happens. Yeah, and and the and the collusion with the police. That was that was super shocking, and 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 I say this having done, uh, you know, multiple episodes on on you know police brutality and being aware of it i have to say it was still shocking yeah um it was still shocking when they're being beaten for them not to uh not to use um more deadly force and it why they why the officers on duty said they didn't makes a whole lot of sense they were faced with a mob that was armed and they were like one versus you know hundreds and thousands of people so they're like, well, what's the point? You know, they're just going to kill me. Um, well, but even dial that back a little bit. And I thought about this going into it. Why wasn't the, I mean, nobody thought to maybe have more protection placed at the Capitol on the day that that decision was being made? Well, you know, I've you know, I've been reading different reports and, uh, you know, different journalists. Um, maybe I think, well, I, I do an episode, um, another bonus episode you can listen to that's going to be dropping uh, later this week um, with Don Thompson. And so I'll link some articles about that because um, I looked into it and they, it was different than what is normally happens. Um, so I think there's really has to be an investigation as to upper think, level yeah. um, police uh, management and whether or not there was collusion um, with well, collusion. Here we go. And I use that word. I can't, uh, I got to tell you, I want that word purged from my brain. It's conspiracy. I'm an attorney, <laughs> but the Trump lingo hearing it 50,000 times even sinks into my brain. I did it in the it's, episode. With it's Don. also the rhetoric word is collusion. It just, and for us, it just means like when, when one kind of way of thinking about something merges with another way of thinking about something, even though they're two different systems. So it might be me stealing your brain. But I do want to pick your brain on this. Like, do you think, do you think we'll ever get the answer? I mean, do you think anybody will ever come clean about what happened? 
Like, do you think I hope ever so? Know? I hope so. And I'm definitely not as um, anti-government conspiratorial as some people are, but I am concerned that we will not get a full accounting um, of what happened and why and who was involved. I'm I'm already concerned, you know, with the trial and and the Republicans uh, messaging on that. I mean, it's crazy to me. He instigated a violent riot that killed a police officer. So Blue Lives Matter, I don't think so. To overthrow the government by, you know, you know, getting rid of all of these black and brown votes that, you know, weren't for Trump. And we're, they're just like, well, calling for unity and appeasement and, you know, and there's st- the people who called for that are still going to work. Some of them are bringing guns to, to, to Congress. It's like, I don't feel like there's a real control over um, what happened and that there's going to be accountability. And I mean, I mean, people expelled from Congress, Trump convicted, and I hope prosecuted. People are dead. And I just... I'm really concerned that that we're not going to get the accountability that we deserve as a country and that will stop something like this from succeeding in what, two years, five years, 10 years? Yeah. Um, well, and, and the other thing I want to point out about this is so the once again, right, the rich, elitist, far right has scapegoated poor white working class Americans, because the people that are getting penalized for this, that are getting put on no fly lists and stuff, they are not the people that right. They were the people that sort of like got caught up in. The, I'm, I'm not using caught up like they're not responsible. I'm just saying they sort of are the people that were fed this line by the GOP that, you know, black people are ruining your lives. Women are ruining your lives. The left is ruining your lives. Go revolt. So meanwhile, all the like business owners a member of my best friend's school board, if you can believe it, was at this thing. She's still on the school board. Linda Mank, by the way, Coweta County, Georgia. Awful, awful woman. Go look at her Facebook. Should not be in charge of educating children. And uh, and it's just it's just another one of these scenarios where the rich corporate elites who want to stay in power and see things done their way scapegoat the people that they're mobilizing to continue to fight this war against, you know, so-called like progressive values. Well, they're scapegoating them so much they're calling them Antifa. Yeah, right. Right? They're calling them Antifa. So it's like they're not even owning the people that are going to be, you know, getting prosecuted for Trump. They're 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 trying to other them into this this uh, you know, far left. And I got to tell you, Antifa, it's not a thing, really. I'm not saying it doesn't exist at all, but you know, I'm pretty progressive. I have a podcast about being progressive. Uh, I people know about. It. No, I'm not. I'm not shy about it. No one's ever tried to recruit me for Antifa. <laughs> oh, I know. I could be no if one Antifa. I would clearly be the chair of the upstate New York chapter. So no I'm- one in my in my social media network claims to be Antifa. Posts as Antifa. Tries to get pe- nothing. Nobody. Yeah. And if you do meet anybody who claims to be Antifa, like my brother claims Antifa, they'll they'll tell you the same thing, which is like, this is not what we do. Like, if we go to Black Lives Matter protests, we don't gas, we don't go throw bricks through the windows of small businesses. Yeah, those are just criminals who yeah, went those along. Are just, yeah, they're just loafers, the, the protest loafers, which there have always been and always will be, but... Also, the idea that um, that the Capitol was made up predominantly of those people just is contrary to reason. 
Yeah, nobody wants to, nobody's dressing up wanting to be, you know, going to a MAGA rally. I mean, we want to stay away from that, like a, the 10-foot pole. <laughs> more, no, more, like states away, 10 states away. <laughs> so I, I think that's just, you know, kind of ironic that they they launched this Antifa thing to so it's just like okay you guys you guys are hung out to dry good luck not going to cover any costs you didn't get a pardon so I was worried about that but no he didn't pardon them no because he doesn't care um, about them no he doesn't care about them yeah and you know we'll just call you Antifa and so the people who didn't go were like well that was just Antifa yeah I mean I can't believe people aren't making a big deal a bigger deal about him like not that I wanted him to but the fact that he didn't pardon the people that he helped mobilize to be arrested and have their lives ruined really just shows what a hypocritical selfish piece of shit he is well he's just he didn't uh, you know I was worried that he was going to because I don't give I, he, I think he has no redeeming qualities and is often totally stupid and counterproductive. But in this instance, by not pardoning him, he does kind of leave himself an open to, like, come back in the future, which ah, is... That's true. No. Yeah. Huh. He's, what's he, 74? He's already said he's going to run for whatever, which... That, that, that debate between four years from now Biden and four years from now Trump would be just ridiculous. They're going to be... I mean, I don't know, 82? Like, they might... I guess they might still have it. I, I'm going to still have it at 82. RBG did. Well, Senator Feinstein, my senator, I regret that vote, I got to tell you, uh, <laughs> apparently does not. And she is not going anywhere as as much as we want her to. And uh, we need you, Senator Feinstein, to get on board with killing the filibuster. Mm -hmm. <sighs> yeah. But, do you yeah. want to talk about the moderate Republicans or the sorry, the moderate Democrats right now? I do. I want the Senate. I do. I want them to get on board with what governing it's your job. If 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 you won't play ball and actually help the Democrats govern, then every single death, every business that's closed, um, you know, people who aren't getting the COVID vaccine, people who are getting, uh, you know, evicted from their homes, going bankrupt, all of those things are on you, moderate Democrats, because Mitch McConnell has clearly shown that he's going to try to keep control of the Senate, even though he's in the minority. I'm incensed that this hasn't been dealt with already. And mm -hmm. it hasn't been dealt with because you, moderate Democrats, are deciding to uh, stay wedded to the Jim Crow filibuster. Um, I'm not quite sure why. My suggestion to you is to actually deliver for the American people a government that works. And guess what? They'll vote for you. Yeah. Is that the problem? Is it that they fear not getting reelected because of the, the anti quote unquote socialist sentiment? I just I just don't see the incentive to play ball with the middle. It's this. Yeah, I think they're fearful. And I think that, again, it's always about their own neck or possibly their own pocketbooks. I wouldn't uh, put past any of you to say that because you telling me dark money isn't coming in. Look, I don't know anything. but. I wouldn't dark money will try to to try to win no matter what. So, well, I mean, and there is just even without the dark money consideration, which is real and important, there is just the fact that like career politicians tend to be very wealthy and they tend to take a lot of very open gifts, quote unquote, from special interests. And if and I suppose I suppose they're not really in favor of a truly progressive leftist reform yeah. because it would mean shutting all that shit down. 
I, I just wa- I just rewatched Lord of the Rings. I highly <laughs> recommend it. It actually, like, it meant so much more just coming from this era. And I feel like, you know, okay, we're at the, we, we just, this, I'm going to nerd out for a minute. I'm sorry. Bear with me. We just, we just are celebrating winning at Helm's Deep, the Battle of Helm's Deep. Okay. That's where we are. We're still have a whole lot to go. And the fellowship, right? It's there, but it's not, it's fracturing. We still have Boromir, right? So I feel like these, these moderate Dems are kind of like, are they the worst? No, they're certainly not the worst. The worst are the Republicans. Um, most of the Republicans. But I want to make sure that we also get rid of anybody in the Democratic Party that is essentially, you know, closing up to special interests or lobbyists yeah. and yeah. don't have the interests of the American people at heart. I don't care if there's a Dem, you know, by their name. Well, climate change is going to go the same way. I mean, it's going to yeah. be the same fight. Every single fight yeah. is going to be the same fight unless they play ball. Well, yeah, because it all comes back to special interests, right? Campaign finance reform, climate change. It all comes back to fossil fuel Rebalancing the courts. Yep, and, you know, I, Claire McCaskill, I was listening to Senator, former Senator Claire McCaskill, who is definitely a moderate from uh, from Missouri, although she was replaced by Josh Hawley, who is obviously an insurrectionist. A piece of crap. Right. So God, that guy's was she better than Holly? Yes. But I heard her on the Preet Bahara podcast and she's and he, Preet's goes, well, you know, what about rebalancing the courts? Is that dead? And she goes, oh, yeah, that's dead. Yeah, no way. Now, Mansion's oh, not going to. Come gonna... on, man. It hasn't even got like, the ground yet. I'm like, are you kidding me? We have to push for what's necessary. We have to push yeah. for this. And so I, I tweeted him. I doubt they even read my tweets. But I'm like, you know what? You two have platforms and you need to push for what's important. I assume that you both know how important it is that we rebalance these courts or else everything's at risk. And you're going to yeah, see like- the court used as a sword against all progressive movement. For the well, people. And there's nothing worse than politics using the language of like the 24 hour news cycle. People say that all the time. Black Lives Matter is over. Defunding the police is over. Rebalancing the course is dead. It's like, look, just because nobody's covered it in headlines for three days should not be how democracy makes decisions. Here, here. So you know, I, like, I, I challenge, you know, and, and we are, we are definitely going to, in our, in our tiny platform, um, <laughs> hopefully growing, we're uh-huh. going to promote these things that are necessary. And rebalancing the courts is absolutely necessary. And these, and, and, and legislating in ways that, um, you know, legal ways, obviously, you know, we want well-crafted laws that protect the people and that show that government can work for the people. Yeah, I mean, so. nothing that we covered in season one has become a moot point. Nothing. 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 It is all I just, re- just as relevant today as it was eight months ago when we recorded it. Well, I just read this. I just read this tweet saying that, you know, if you if your taxes go up this year, uh, you can thank the the Republican tax bill from 2017, which had this deferred increase for people who make under one hundred thousand dollars a year um, for that for in 2021, 2023, 2025 and 2027. And so taxes, your taxes, anyone who makes under $100,000, your taxes are going to go up and you can thank Trump and the Republicans for that. But of course, what does it look like? It looks like Biden did it. Yep. That's and that's a and, you know, it's like they find genius ways to fuck us to fuck you over and make it think it's the left. Right. And so we have to bring those out and talk about them. Talk about them on a podcast. Talk about them to push back when you hear. Uh, relatives or neighbors or strangers 
complain about these things. That's all we can do, I think, is is to use our voice to push back at the misinformation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Lee, so uh, you have been busy um, while in our off season. Um, what have you been doing? Well, let's see. Uh, online teaching has been just like turned into just full on therapy that I am not qualified to do. <laughs> so I spent a yeah. lot of my time just wringing my hands in anxiety that one of my students is going to uh, you know, take their own life <laughs> because there's there's no mental health support uh, right now. And uh, like like you said, we're sitting and just waiting as if anybody can wait any longer for them to do something to help right. curb the impacts of COVID on mental health. And, um, you know, I'm fine because I'm introverted and I'm privileged, but everybody that I work with is not fine. So that's taken up a lot of my time. Um, and if there is anyone out there suffering with mental health issues, you know, exacerbated by preceding whatever COVID, you know, I really, I feel for you and it is a real concern and, you know, my heart goes out to you. I wish there were more being done, but, you know, fingers crossed that that changes soon. And then other than that, I um, have been pitching the media. I had a piece on Trump and Scheudenfreud when he got COVID <laughs> and then tweeted, it's no big deal. I only let, you know, 400,000 people die, but I'm good. <laughs> and so I had a piece in the media for that. So I've been trying to get more pieces out to no avail. Uh, and then, you know, picking back up on my own podcast. So rhetorically speaking, which I just analyze uh, pop culture and speeches, just kind of whatever comes across the board. Next, um, I'm working right now on episodes that are about dirty talk, using some various terrible sex scenes from movies, and uh, a piece on the Amanda Gorman poetry at the inauguration that I think has just been grossly underserved in public commentary. So those are my big projects. And I finished one book on um, syntax and rhetoric that's going to come out in uh, U.S. political culture. It's coming out at the end of the year. And then I have another book on Black Rhetoric Matters that looks specifically at uh, different speech acts by Black women over the last couple of years and how they use disruption to kind of push back against logics that have like kind of kept Black women oppressed for the last, you know, four or 500 years. And that, you know, Gorman is one of those, right? The, this idea that, oh, thank you, Black women, for unity and reconciliation and for, you know, making us feel better. And this isn't just Gorman at the inauguration. It's also, you know, Stacey Abrams who saved Georgia and all of these women that are Black and bringing the American dream as close to fruition as possible, yet it's the thing they've never been allowed access to. So it's just, it's very hypocritical and awful. And so that's, book number two. So yes, I am busy. What have you been up to since we- I mean, we I don't even know what to say. That is so amazing. I'm, I'm, uh, I didn't, I, I knew you were doing some of that stuff, but, to, but not all of it. And then to hear it all, um, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. Uh, what have I been doing? I have uh, just catching up on some legal work, some appeals, um, spending lots of time taking care of my kids, um, mm -hmm. and getting ready for doing a lot of reading, um, to mm -hmm. try to get ready for season two, try to uh, I've been – I've really felt like my education has failed me uh, regarding Reconstruction, regarding Jim Crow. I was a political science history major, uh, double major. I have a law degree. And interestingly enough, all of that was just kind of not really covered in any depth. So I decided that it, that's my obligation to, um, you know, try to educate myself about what happened and really kind of grab – um, the reins of my own life and, and to take responsibility for 
what I know and I and I want other people to do that. So I should do that myself. Um, I've also been doing a lot of reading on Putin. Um, mm-hmm. And something you'll probably see a little bit more in season two is trying to get a handle on this uh, religious, the religious component to uh, taking over the courts and cases and 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 just getting engaged uh, in politics, sort of in front in the front, and also behind the scenes. So those are the kind of things. So I try to do a bunch of reading to try to figure out what it is I want to talk about. Ooh, so that's that what I've been doing. Fast. That sounds like good stuff. I'm excited to hear what you come up with. Yeah, I think it. Uh, you know, I I try to do a bunch of things so I can set, kind of make connections um, between things. Trying to just figure out what it is they're trying to do to us um, so that we can try to fight against it. Um, well, I, I, I love um, listening to Rhetorically Speaking, and I think that all of our listeners should check it out because it's it's super fun. And I learn a lot um, being not a rhetorician. But the fact that you take from these pop culture examples makes it super accessible. So yeah, anyway. It puts- it puts a lot of pressure on the podcast. I will say one of the things I enjoyed about our podcast is that we did not have to find media clips. Like we did occasionally. We had some Trump stuff in there when we were doing uh, the analysis of the I can't remember. He said some stuff at a rally that we that we used. But because a lot of this stuff is they don't come out and say it like you'll watch a show or a movie and you know that they're perpetuating white supremacy or sexism or but it's not really anywhere where you can just be like, oh, here's the two minute clip that shows you them being sexist. So it's been a real challenge. And I was reading the other day that there is a, a sharp cut. So all the media outlets, you know, Vox, BuzzFeed, all these places have been cutting their culture critics. And so those are the people that many of whom are not very good anyway, uh, but who look at, you know, TV shows, Lord of the Rings, for example, and say, what does Lord of the Rings teach us about, you know, uh, launching a political revolution, right? Something like that. And they're, mm-hmm. they're the, they're, their budgets are being cut. And those are always the first people to go to keep the investigative journalists and the people who do like lifestyle shit and the entrepreneur crap. And I'm all for investigative journalism, but it's really devastating to think you're going to keep the person who like makes lists about gifts for your dog, but you're going to cut the person that does the cultural media criticism to help yeah. people be more informed about the content that they're consuming. So um, my podcast is just kind of like a little step in that direction, but we, we have a massive hole to fill in the cultural criticism front in this country. And I think it's really necessary because I remember, you know, back when like 24, you know, the show with Kiefer Sutherland uh-huh. was big. Yep, yep, yep. So I I started, I watched, you know, I am always late to the party, but I started watching it and it was like really kind of addictive. And it, they use a lot of torture in order to get information like as a theme in, and, um, and you have like, you know, Jack Bauer always comes in and like saves the day. He's like this, you know, federal agent. And then I heard that, and I don't, I heard this, I, I I haven't like looked into it, but I've heard that, you know, one of the guys behind it was like very right wing. And so this was kind of like, yes. he, he wanted to perpetuate this, this, um, it was like during the Bush years, you know, so they like, wanted to kind of perpetuate this, this myth that torture um, worked. Yeah, which and, it, which it and I would find not to at all. Right, it's been shown <laughs> not to. And me, I'm I'm against torture, but I would watch the show and I'd be like, get frustrated taking. So I'm like, oh my god, just torture it. And I'm like, what are you saying? You know. So it was like, like, why are you thinking that? You know. And it was like, it was you know, it was working on me to an extent. Yeah. And mm-hmm. even like during the Trump administration, I would found myself like wishing for a Jack Bauer would come in and you know 
save things. This like white male savior bullshit. You know, it's like it's so. Well, even that, even like the logic of exposure, right? That I mean, we had those people. We had the tapes. We had the interviews. We had Trump himself exposing. We had Jane Mayer writing about Darry. That's the thing is these shows perpetuate this idea that when the secret is revealed, there's a sudden transformation of ideology. But what it doesn't explain is that people just ignore the facts that don't fit their worldview. Yeah. So it's a, yeah the, the way the way media the way media makes us think logic works for the sake of a satisfying story and the way that it works in our brains are very disconnected. And we need uh, we need some help navigating that stuff. So, you know, I appreciate, uh, you know, the, the work in trying to do that, because otherwise we kind of just absorb it. We take it in. We don't really, you know, and I, I think about a lot. I try to analyze a lot of things and I'm not necessarily dissecting that. I, I had someone not told me that it, there was a right wing guy behind 24. I got to say it wouldn't have occurred to me. Well, that's how it's meant to work. I mean, right? It's these exactly. are these are tropes that have been around for ever. I mean, you know, the idea that torture will reveal the truth has been around for way, way forever. Like Jesus, you know, <laughs> it's like sure, the sure. Romans, right? It's like yeah, yeah, the Inquisition. Yeah, yeah. The Salem witch the trial. Salem witch trial. Exactly. Yeah, and it, it produces exactly nothing. It produces nothing except just another way to use quote unquote like whatever the sciences of the day. Right. Because torture is an actual legit science, not legit in the sense I think it's legit, but legit in the sense that there are courses and logics and theories about torture. And they all perpetuate things that just like economics. It's just they're all theories about how shit works and none of them have been proven to be true. Well, I read a link to it in the in the show notes of this, but I read this really great Medium article by a game developer that linked QAnon. Yes. um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh and game, you know, and, and how people develop games and how similar that is. Uh, who is exactly uh, puppeteering Q? I think uh, I would love for Jane Mayer, some other Ronan Farrow, some other amazing. There's so many other amazing journalists, but somebody to really get at that if it's at all possible. Yeah. Um, find out who's funding it and who's doing it because um, I don't think it's just doesn't seem to be just random people seems to be no there there have to be leaders spearheading that it's too it's too well coordinated to be just some random internet thing you know yeah and then and then that that article is really great because it kind of says how well once you once you push these things out then the random stuff can happen too and then they kind of mold and 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 you know well it's just like the capital protest it just needs enough randomness to appear organic yeah yeah that's but that doesn't mean it. that it is, in fact, random in the way that it's like uncoordinated and it just kind of happened to come together in this serendipitous moment. <laughs> I'm not sure yeah. if anything works that way anymore. I mean, I think culture is so fragmented and politics is so fragmented. I mean, even when you look at Black Lives Matter, I mean, those protests were, were really well coordinated, but they they were also very highly they, sorry, they seemed very random, like a bunch of people just poured into the streets. But those networks were put in place, you know, on social media and they were very well coordinated. So I don't know, just this idea that anything happens without there being some kind of leadership behind it anymore. I find very hard to believe. So the question is, who's funding the leadership? Right. Yeah. And in Black Lives Matter, it's very it's almost no one. <laughs> they have almost no funding. And it, that's that's where the big difference is. Like, I'd love for somebody to try to do a dark money trace on Black Matter because you won't find it. 
<laughs> no, it's, 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 there. it's local advocacy groups, uh, you know, and people coalesce because of, you know, there was national protests, but they're fundamentally, they're the local groups pushing yep. for change in their areas. Yes. You know. Well, is there anything else you want to want to get at uh, today, Lee? No, I think this is exciting. Uh, so we got um, maybe some some sneaky peeks about what we got coming up. So you said Don is back from the Innocence Project uh, for an interview. He's back, and we already recorded that. So that's going to come out. We'll do like a, a double double uh, release bonus episode week. Um, cool. And then we're maybe going to do some Putin stuff. Some Putin stuff. Trying to trying to get it. You know. Really kind of getting at disinformation. I think that's going to be uh, a big, big thing about disinformation. Um, and uh, so, we're going to do an episode on originalism because I think this one is is incredibly important. I heard someone say the phrase I was arguing with someone about Gorsuch and all these court appointments. And I brought up the Ice Road Trucker case that we have talked about before. And they said, well, his job is just to interpret the law. He doesn't make the laws. And I was like, you do understand what the word interpret means, right? Like right. if a law needs interpretation, it's because it's not really there. It's kind of there, which means Gorsuch makes the law every time he applies the law. And they were just looking at me like, no, the law is just the law and he just applies the law. I was like, right. But you don't apply things that are just direct. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if someone tells me my rent is seven fifty a month, I don't write them a check for six ninety five and go like, I applied the rent this month and I decided this this seemed right. Like it's just a rule. There's no we don't need an arbiter. And so I just thought, man, this originalism shit, which is totally a for sale academic pseudo pseudo argument from the nineties or no, probably earlier than that, right? Um, it's just been bought hook, line, and sinker. So we're gonna do some critiques of that, which I think will be really interesting. As the Supreme Court, um, with the 6-3, uh, as they start to wreak havoc on the country, mm-hmm. um, well, you know, we're going to obviously have to talk about that. So yeah. I'm sure we're going to re- we want to get a good originalism episode out there and then we're going to have to revisit it as um, the Supreme Court tries to wreck our lives, um, as they undoubtedly are going to do, because <laughs> mm-hmm. that's what they were put there to do. And I think we're going to look we may actually hopefully be able to talk to a maybe some prosecutors um about yeah we have some some stuff in the works i actually i'm not gonna i'm not gonna tease that too hard because i i I haven't got commitments yet but (laughs) i would love to get some some voices um from the prosecutor and and we're gonna continue to be exploring race and how race um is you know an issue with law enforcement and in the courts um we'll be Keeping up with the Daniel Prude case, um, as it as, and the Black Lives Matter cases that are going on in Rochester, just so that we can keep up with how the court system is treating uh, these matters, because mm-hmm. I think it's mm-hmm. important to uh, to not just like, oh, this is an issue, and then it's going to wind its way through the courts, and then nobody ever really knows what goes on. So we're going to keep you. Yeah, up we to don't want to wait four more years for another Trayvon Martin, another George Floyd, to remind us that this is a problem. Like, if there's one thing we learned between. The 2013 protest and then the 2016 protest and then the 20, I'm sorry, 2013, 2015 and 2020. It's that, you know, this stuff is happening all the time. So let's not just wait four more years for speaking of which February 26, assuming this episode is out by then is um, talk about Trayvon Day. It's the it's his birthday. So if anybody would like to tweet, that's a nice thing to do just to remember that like he wasn't just some martyr that you forgot about <laughs> he's like a person right. that the pol- that dead george zimmerman killed and then was not taken to prison for 
just is oh, so upsetting. Yeah. And it's important that we, that we continue to, you know, to bring light to these, these issues so that they don't fade away. So it's not like, oh, reconstruction was amazing for 10 years. And then Jim Crow came in and ruined everything. And uh, here we are today still dealing with it, you know, and just nobody knows because it doesn't get taught anymore. Yeah. Right. So, so anyway, we are going to keep drawing attention to these important issues. All right, Lee, thank you so much. Yeah, it was good to pick up. Catching up. Yeah, I think it was a a good chat. And we will see you all again uh, later in the year. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to source material referenced in this episode. Because unlike corrupt judges and politicians, we do our research. Listen, subscribe, tell a friend, and be sure to judge us by rating and reviewing. Post-production by Joe Thompson and theme music by Avery Munger.